Hey, this is Jason Hubbard, and I, along with my wife, are the lead pastors of One Life Church in Nampa, Idaho. Thanks so much for checking out our podcast. We hope that it encourages you and motivates you to live for Christ. Enjoy this message. Couple quick notes for us, and then we're going to jump into the word today. Um, One of these is that we are in 21 days of prayer. Who's enjoying 21 days of prayer so far? It has been incredible so far. Uh, This last week, we met at the church offices on Wednesday evening, and it was amazing. It was an incredible time of seeking the Lord together, and we have another one of those this Wednesday night. If you weren't able to be there this last week, come this week, 7 p.m. at the church offices. Um, I didn't have the address up there, but we will get it for you. If you've never been to the offices before, we'll make sure that you have directions about how to get there so we can seek God together. As part of our 21 days of prayer. We uh, provided these, and a lot of you got these last week. It's a prayer card, uh, and these are available out at Guest Central. So as you go out the doors, there's tables, and these are sitting there if you haven't gotten one yet. Um, On it are just uh, some prayer targets and prayer points for each of the days of 21 days, and some scriptures to go along with it. And the whole point of that is to give us a central thought to go after as a church. This isn't the only thing you have to pray about. This isn't the only thing that has to dictate your time, but it is one of those things that we can rally as a church to be able to pray together. So you can pick that up. It'll give you a little bit of direction and clarity on that as we go through. Now, if you started this last week, you know that we started in John 15, and we spent the whole week just in John 15, reading the chapter, praying, letting the Holy Spirit just speak to us. And what I would encourage us is even as we're stepping into week two that now has specific prayer targets for each day, let's not lose John 15. And the reason I say that is because as Ellie and I were were seeking God and praying, we really felt that what God wanted to do in our church in this season is lead us into a place of learning how to abide to rest in the presence and in the love of God and do everything that we do from that point. So this isn't just something that like, oh good, we spent a week on it, we've got that figured out, right? I don't think there's any of us that would come away from a week of reading John 15 going, I know how to abide, I've got this down, ain't no more striving for me, right? I don't think anybody would say that, right? So, uh, so this, is, this is something where we get to now pursue the heart of God together. Um, over this, over this time with John 15, okay? So that's that, and those are the prayer times that you can be a part of. I can't believe I'm saying this, but fall small groups are right around the corner. Uh, yeah, we put your hands together for small groups. We do some very... Uh, we do some things around here that, uh, that are really important, and one of the most important things that we do are small groups. And the reason is, is because that's where we actually get to do life together. There's something powerful about the weekends when we come together, but there's also something powerful as we seek God together and build relationships and lift each other up that happens in small groups. And so that's coming up here in just a little bit. A couple things to make you aware of though, so you can plan for this. This is when the fall semester starts is September 11th, which means that group signups um, are going to go live on our website on September 4th, the week before. So you can sign up for groups the 4th and the 11th, find the full list of everything that's, meet, that's gonna be meeting and join one. Now, if you're wanting to lead a group this semester, um, we have a couple of training dates coming up and they're, just mark your calendar for these, August 21st 
and August 28th. Our two options for that, and they're going to happen um, right here after service on Sundays, okay? You don't have to come to both, but if you're interested in leading a group this semester, come either the 21st or the 28th. You're going to meet with Larry, and he's going to walk you through what this season looks like and how to step in and get ready to lead that, okay? There is, if you're not able to make one of those, there will be, by sign-up only, a Zoom option that will be on August 24th at 7 p.m. The only way to access that is to actually sign up on the website to let us know that you actually want to be a part of that, okay? So if you're thinking about leading a group this semester, those are the dates for you to know, and then uh, we are going to kick off small groups here coming up, which I am really really excited about. It is going to be wonderful. Uh, For Ellie and I, uh, small groups here at One Life were actually one of the things that got us really excited about stepping into here. Um, Because I think one thing that One Life does really, really well, One Life does a lot of things really well, but I think what One Life does really well is small groups and relationship. And so I'm excited to do that again. It's going to be awesome. And uh, and so it's going to be great. Okay. We're a note-taking church. Uh, If you would like to take notes today, you could do that paper, pencil, the good old way, or you can text OLC notes to 94,000, have those downloaded right to your phone. There's blanks that you can fill in. You can save it or email it to yourself to go back over later. So all of that stuff is right there for you to keep track of. Okay. We're going to jump in today to the message. We're going to be looking at John 15 and, uh, and obviously we're in 21 days of prayer. So I wanted to begin with communicating a few things uh, that kids say about prayer. Because I was, a, I was a children's pastor for years and I love how kids process life, just period. But specifically how they process prayer is, is, is awesome. So I wanted to share a few of these things with us today as we begin. Is that okay? Yeah. Okay. A preacher's five-year-old daughter noticed that her father always paused and bowed his head for a moment before he started his sermon. One day she asked him why. Well, honey, he began proud that his daughter was so observant of his messages. I'm asking the Lord to help me preach a good sermon. How come he doesn't do it? She answered. (laughs) My kids have never asked me that. (laughs) During the minister's prayer one Sunday, there was a loud whistle from one of the back pews. Gary's mother was horrified. She pinched him into silence, because that's a thing. And after church asked, Gary, whatever made you do such a thing? Gary answered soberly, I asked God to teach me to whistle. And he just then did. (laughs) Dear God, I need you to make my mom not allergic to cats. I really want a cat, and I really don't want to ask my mom to move out. And finally, my wife invited some people to dinner. At the table, she turned to our six-year-old daughter and said, would you like to say the blessing? I wouldn't know what to say, the child replied. Just say what you hear mommy say. Yep, uh uh-huh. Just wait for it, just wait for it. This is not a true story about Ellie. She just wanted me to clarify this. Our daughter bowed her head and said, dear Lord, why on earth did I invite all these people to dinner? Oh, it's just wonderful. I love what kids say about prayer, and it's just the innocence of this is so awesome. Uh, We're going to be spending a few weeks in John 15. 
And we're using this as a little bit of our outline to talk about what it looks like to live a life that God intended for us to live out of a position that he has for us to live. Because one thing I'm very aware of is the way that the world and that the people and and the way that the world functions and culture functions is the opposite of the way the word instructs us to live, right? It's, it's, It's the opposite. And John 15 is one of these things that attacks culture because it presents a way of living to us that is counterculture from everything else we see around us. And so Jesus is inviting us into a place of understanding a different way to live. And what he's doing is he's actually talking about this metaphor of the vine, right? And we'll get into this a little bit. But he's using this metaphor of the vine to talk about that fruitfulness in your life and the producing of fruit in your life only comes when you are connected to the vine, meaning Christ. You cannot produce fruit outside of being connected to the vine. Now, fruitfulness does not mean, and this is where it's counterculture, does not just mean doing more, right? If I just produce more, if I achieve more, then I'm gonna have fruit in my life. No, that's, that's not it at all. Jesus is unwinding this and saying, no, it's more about being connected to me and living in relationship to where fruit can be produced. Here's the thing about fruit. You can't make fruit grow. I lived on a farm when I was little, and we had a vineyard, and we made grape juice. Uh, <laughs> I will say a funny story about that. We, we canned probably 100, 100 quarts of grape juice every year, and it was the best grape juice ever had, Concord grapes. It was phenomenal. Every once in a while for special occasions, though, and special meals, my mom would take uh, a can of grape juice and she would mix it with 7-Up. That was, you know, give it a little bit of, a little bit of kick. We're, I mean, we were living on the edge. Uh, and she would, she would put it at the dinner table and my grandpa, every, every time, God bless him, would sit there and every time say the same thing. Same thing. Oh, it's, tastes like the lid got off of this one a little bit. Like, no, grandpa, we're not eating, we're not drinking fermented grape juice here. Like it's, anyway, it was really funny. Every time it came across. In my mind, it's funny. Okay, Uh, but you can't make fruit grow. There's no way you could stand out there and tell a group, grow, grow, tell a grape to grow, grow, grow. There's no way to do it. It is a natural byproduct of being connected to the source. For us as believers, fruit only comes in our life when we are attached to the source, okay? Now, Now, get this, that John 15 actually starts by saying, by Jesus saying, I am the true vine, which means this, there are a lot of places that we can plug into for a source and produce some sort of fruit. But I think we would all say that the kind of fruit that's produced when we plug into a source other than Christ is not good fruit, right? It's pretty obvious to see, but it's also something we need to be very aware of as believers. So as we go through this section, there's really kind of three main keys to living this life that Jesus invited us into in John 15. And the first element of this is to remain. And that's what we're going to be talking about today, is what it means to remain. But as you go through John 15, you realize that as you learn to how to remain and how you learn how to function out of this place of remaining, that the second thing that happens is that there are requests that can be made. John 15 actually says that if you remain in me, 
Ask whatever you want and it'll be done for you. Okay, so, so there's, there's a remaining that leads to a, a requesting. And then the end of John 15, and this is what we're gonna talk about in a couple of weeks here, is that you start to represent or resemble the vine. As you remain in the vine and you begin to request things to happen according to the will of the Father, then you start to look like the vine. You start to, to look like Jesus. You start to sound like Jesus. Why? Because you spent time with Jesus. So we're going to talk about these three things over the next few weeks, but today we're just going to talk about remaining. John 15 and verses four through seven says this, remain in me and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I'm the vine and you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. I want to stop for a second there. You can do things apart from the vine. You can produce, you can achieve, you can live a fairly successful life. But what would it look like if we did it from a place of remaining in him first? How different would it be? Oh, I can, I can achieve and I can do these great things. What if, what if, before any of that, we learned what it meant to abide and then see him bring everything to fruition? Totally different animal, right? If anyone does not remain in me, he's thrown aside like a branch and he withers. They gather them, throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. So powerful, powerful statement here around the idea of remaining. So a couple thoughts. The first one is this, that the call to remain is one of invitation. Invitation. God is not gonna come, Jesus is not gonna come and demand that you remain in the vine. It's a choice that we make. And there is an invitation that beckons us into a different way of living life and into a different life that comes when we are connected to the vine. It's, it's an invitation. Yes, Jesus makes some very clear statements about the fact that if you abide and if you remain in me, this is the fruit of your life. And if you don't, this is what will happen in your life. He states these things, right? This is, this is obvious. If you remain in me, this is what you will see. If you don't, this is what you will see. But the invitation is one from a heart that says, I, I, I'm inviting you into this place of relationship. I'm inviting you into this place where you understand that it's not about just doing, 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 work hard, work hard, work hard. No, I'm inviting you into thinking about things a little bit differently so that you can come into my presence and you can be refreshed and be refueled so that then you can go out and produce the fruit that I want to produce in your life. And so, so there's, this, there's this difference here. There's this invitation. It's the same invitation that we see in Matthew 11 where Jesus says, Come to me, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me, because I'm lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. 
My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Here's what's so beautiful about that. It doesn't mean that you don't ever do anything ever and you just sit there and he does everything. No, 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 no. It's a partnering together. He says, take up my yoke. When they would train oxen to plow the field, what they would do is they would take a seasoned ox and pair it with a young ox so that it would learn pace and rhythm and timing. Jesus says, pair up with me, yoke up with me so that you can learn my pace, that you can learn my rhythm, that you can learn my way of doing things. And also, if you have a young ox who's just ready to go, what do they want to do? They want to pull ahead. They got all this energy in the world and they just want to go for it. And what does the seasoned ox do? He sits there and he says, no, 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 just, just chill, just relax. And what happens is that young ox learns the pace and the rhythm and how they don't have to shoulder everything on their own. So there's an invitation that Jesus gives us he says, listen, I want you to experience something totally different. I have something totally different for you. And, and, and yes, there's an element of producing fruit. And yes, there's an element where we do things that God's called us to do. But it's a totally different animal when we actually do that out of being strengthened by him and being strengthened by the spirit that enables those things rather than just going through and burning ourselves out and running ragged. I think we've all experienced what it looks like to do those things on our own strength and to burn ourselves out. What Jesus is saying, listen, there's a better way. There's a better way. So it's a call to invitation, but here's here's the other side of the coin. The invitation to remain also comes as a challenge. There's an invitation and there's a challenge. Now, why is that true? Well, If you look at the Greek word meno, which is used for remain, and there's actually 12 words that it's translated into. If you look at that word meno, it's an action verb. Remain is not an ethereal passive, I just am. Now, sometimes that would be really nice, (laughs) but it's not this thing. There's an action to it. Here's how the word meno is translated. Remain. Here's some other words. Stay. Wait for. To be patient. Continue. Here's a fun word. To tarry. To stay away from. To, to be motionless. To bring to a halt. To put down. To stand respectfully before. When I read these words... I look at words that actually take intentionality to be able to live in. You know, I'd say, you know how I know this? Have you ever told your kids to stand still for one second? Do they stand still? No. They can't stand still. And I think that Jesus' invitation and his challenge to us as his kids is to say, listen, stop. And what that does is it requires some intentionality on us to stop. It's an action word. Meaning, if the invitation and the challenge is for us is to remain, to stop, to stay, that means that the opposite is too often very true. That we don't naturally want to just stay. We don't naturally want to just rest. We want to do. We want to be. We want to get all the things done, right? 
And so for us to understand that, yes, there's an invitation to rest and there's an invitation to a different way of life and, and Jesus is inviting us into this rhythm, but it's also a challenge because he knows that in our natural sense, but also in the culture we live in, everything will try to tear us away from the pursuit of God. And really what it is, is it's a shift in our approach because remaining is not something passive, it's active, but what we're doing is we're trading the pursuit of achieving, the pursuit of accomplishment, the pursuit of getting things done. We're using that energy to pursue him. And that as we pursue him, he enables all of the rest of it. Which still takes energy on our part. It still takes this ability for us to actually say, God, I am going to, with everything in me, my mind, my spirit, my emotions, everything, I'm going to pursue you. And we have to make sure that we are intentional about remaining. The reason is there's a lot of things that distract us and pull us away. Let me give you three of these that are things that can pull us away from actually remaining in Christ. The first of them is responsibilities. Now, before you go down a rabbit trail here, responsibilities are not bad. We all have responsibilities. We all have things that we have to do but the responsibilities should come from a place of being empowered by Christ first. Let me give you an example. In Exodus 33, there's a beautiful picture of Moses and Joshua and they would approach the tent of meeting. And when they would approach the tent of meeting, it says that Moses would actually meet God face to face as a friend talks to a friend. Now, how many think that's pretty cool, by the way? Like, I love that idea. They talked as friends. Do you know, you realize that, that because of the cross that we actually get to do that too? He calls us friends. So no longer is it just the priests who can go beyond the veil. The veil was actually torn, ripped, demolished. And we actually can approach as friends. I think that's really cool. So we can do that, okay? But then listen, what, it, what, it, what it happened next is Moses then would return to the camp and Joshua would remain. Now, does it mean that Joshua was more spiritual than Moses? No, not at all. I think the principle for us to understand is this, is that Joshua understood for him to be able to lead, to have influence, to get his marching orders, to know exactly what he needed to do to lead this entire nation, he needed to be empowered by the presence of God. And so before he went to do anything, he remained. And you can imagine that he, as he's sitting there in the presence of God, goes, I've got a ton of responsibilities over here. And I got all the people who are asking questions. And, and then there's Jericho. And, and how are we going to do that? We're going to walk around. The, you got to be kidding me, right? He's got all these things. But first, he remained. They gave him the ability to do that. Second thing that can pull us away from the idea of remaining is distractions. Distractions. Some of these can actually be responsibilities, but they can also be a little bit different. And these can be good or bad distractions. There's bad distractions <laughs> and there's things that are good, okay? Um, I had a pastor, one of the campus pastors where I served as a children's pastor for years. His name was Jack Lohman. He was an incredible man, uh, spirit-led, prophetic like nobody's business, just an incredible, incredible guy. Died from ALS many years ago now took him way too early. But he always talked about his time with the Lord. And I always thought this was interesting, but it makes total sense when we talk about distractions. Whenever he went in to spend time with the Lord, he had a pad of paper and he had a pen. 
And the reason was, is inevitably, and you would probably relate to this, so you can nod your head if this is you, you know. Uh, when you're in and you're pursuing God, every distraction comes into your mind, right? Oh, that's right, that. Oh, that person, I got it. And before you know it, you can't even remember why I was here in the first place, right? Because all the things. He would have a pad of paper and a pen, and he said that anytime there was a distraction that would come, he would write it down so that he could remember to go back to it later, but it could empty his mind so he could get it back to focusing on God. I always thought that was a really cool practice. That is what it means to actively remain. I got to push this stuff aside. It's not that I don't care. It's that I need to take it, quantify it, get it down, steward, be responsible, but then I need to get back to where I was supposed to be. Okay? So there's this idea. Mary and Martha is a really good example of that in Luke 10. Two sisters, Jesus came to their house along with his whole entourage. And the two sisters were there. One of the sisters, Mary, sat before Jesus. And it says that she hung on every word. Martha was distracted. She was cooking. She was prepping. Martha wasn't distracted by anything bad. She was, she was preparing food for them. I think everybody, especially the men, were very thankful. So she was, she was doing a good thing. What does she do? She comes and she complains to Jesus. And Jesus says, Martha, 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 you're pulled away by many distractions. He didn't say, Martha, 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 you're prepping food. No, he said, you're pulled away by many distractions. Mary's chosen to remain. What's the point? It's an order of things. Martha was not a sinful person. And, and Mary was not more holy than Martha. But there's an order that, that Jesus invites us into to be empowered for everything else that takes place in life. Yes, there are responsibilities. Yes, there are things to be to be done, but they have to be powered out of a relationship with Christ. The third of these things that can distract is the Antichrist. Yeah, I said it. Second weekend, he's talking about the Antichrist? Man, I know some of you are like, yeah. Others are like, well, you got to get the kids. We got to find a new church. You know, like... Just hang with me for a second. Hang with me for a second, okay? Nobody, nobody get freaked out. Antichrist. This is what I mean by this, okay? I'm gonna explain what I mean, okay? 1 John is a parallel passage to John 15, okay? Different writers, different emphasis. You see that the writer of John, even though they're both named John, one was the apostle, one was the evangelist. John, the evangelist, would elaborate on this idea of remaining in a different way than John the apostle would, okay? Both had something very specific that they were doing, okay? In 1 John, he elaborates on this idea of remaining, and he actually talks about the importance of remaining and all of this. But before he gets there, in verse 18, he talks about something very important. He says in 1 John 15, children... It is the last hour. Now, how many of you would agree that we are probably living in the last hour? Right? We're, we're coming to the end. Now, I do not know how long that hour is. So don't ask me. 
I think that's one of those things that the Bible was not clear on for a very specific reason. Because if we had that, then we would get away from the point, which is to extend the kingdom and extend the love of Christ no matter what is going on at the end of time. I think that's the reason we don't have extreme detail, right? But it is last hour. I was thinking about it like it's like you're driving somewhere and your kids are like, you know, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there? Well, clearly not. <laughs> At least I hope so. If, if, if we're here, this is real disappointing. I mean, I love you, but heaven? I mean, so we don't know when it is, but I think we could all agree that we're in the last hour. All of the stuff as you read Revelation, all of the things that he says to be aware of and all the things that are going to happen and wars and rumors of wars and all this, I would say those things are happening. So I think we can assume that something's stirring. But here's the point. And as you have heard, now I want you to listen really, really carefully to the wording of this verse because this really gives a lot of clarity to what I'm talking about, okay? And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming. Listen what it does not say. It does not say the Antichrist. And then it even goes on to say, even now, many Antichrists have come. By this, we know that it is the last hour. So what's he saying? Well, when you look at the definition of Antichrist, Antichristo, there's two definitions and meaning for this word, Okay. And this is going to help us as we talk about the idea of this invitation and challenge for us to remain in Christ, okay? The first definition is the opposite of Christ. This is the one we think about the most. This is the beast. Extreme evil, extreme good, right? And, and it's really obvious to see everything that Jesus is, the Antichrist is the opposite of, Right? And many times, this is how Antichrist is interpreted in our world today. This is what we understand it to be. But there's a second meaning of Antichrist that goes along with it, and it's this instead of Christ. Instead of Christ. Which speaks to a replacement for Christ. Now, here's where this gets really sobering. It's really easy to see extreme evil from extreme good and know to stick with extreme good. Meaning when the, the beast, whatever that looks like, comes, it's going to be real obvious, right? But what's less obvious is the spirit of the Antichrist that rests on to try to coerce, to try to entice, to try to replace Christ. This is why John 15 is got to be our anchor. We have to learn how to and have a resolve in our spirit to remain in Christ. Because if not, we're going to get drawn away. Okay? First John goes on and he takes, talks about, the, or, or actually, I'm sorry, in Matthew 24, Jesus talks about this. He says, for false messiahs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. So take note, meaning this is important. I've told you in advance to get this. This is really important. If they tell you, see, he's in the wilderness, don't go out. Or, see, he's in the storerooms, do not believe it. Why? Because anything that has a spirit of antichrist on it 
will try to mislead and isolate the people of God away from this, from one another, the strength of the body of Christ, and will try to draw away and entice to come out to something a little bit different. This is what happens in cults. This is what happens. People are enticed by, by, by something that maybe resembles a little bit Christ and that. But then what happens is they go after that, missing who Christ actually is. So there's an enticing that happens with it. They try to separate from And this is the enemy's work. The enemy is trying to isolate us as members of the body of Christ. Because he knows if he can separate you, he can attack you and he can take you down. Right? This is is how a pride of lions works. What do they do? They lay around and what do they do? They look for not, not the animal that's in the middle of the herd. They look for the weakest, the smallest, the one that's isolated from everyone else. And that's where they attack. The enemy's doing the same thing. 1 Peter 5.8 says this, be sober-minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. So as we have this invitation and this challenge to remain in Christ, there is a spirit of antichrist that is there to entice and to draw away and to isolate so you can ultimately be destroyed. And this is, this is Jesus' heart in this. Remain in me remain, stay close, stay, stay real, real close. Because the days ahead, it's gonna get really, really confusing. There's gonna be things that are come that it's gonna look real, real good right up until you're in it and realize, oh no, 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 this is not good. He's saying, remain close, hear my voice, hear my voice, hear me, know me, so that you can follow and you can stay connected to me. And this is why, Hebrews is so important, says this, I love this, and I think this is such a mandate and an encouragement for us as the body of Christ. And let us watch out for one another. Watch out for one another. If there's an isolation that's happening, if there's a drawing away, we as the believers are to call each other to remain in Christ so that we can pursue God together. This is the strength that comes to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. Are we there yet? I don't know, clearly not. But as we see the day approaching. COVID was a, a massive tool of the enemy for this very purpose. Because what COVID did is made it okay and culturally accepted to stay away from everybody. And we see this. We see that, that coming out of COVID now to gathering together, there are people that aren't. Now, there are people who are doing it for legitimate reasons. Don't get me wrong, right? Health stuff and all that. Like, I get that. But I think the enemy also has used it as an opportunity to say, yeah, you don't need to get together with everybody. You, you can just watch online and you'll be fine. You, 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 don't worry about it. What happens? Suddenly, maybe we're watching online, but we're also listening to other stuff. And then maybe we're watching online a little less and listening to other stuff a little bit more. 
and then maybe we don't listen online anymore and we're only listening to these other influences. And before we know it, we've been isolated, enticed, and drawn away. This is why COVID was nasty. Not because it was a sickness. I've heard so many people that are in the medical field saying COVID is just our new flu. It's going to be with us for a while. We have to learn how to live in it, right? But, but the enemy really likes using it. So let's be aware of this, right? Let's be alert. Let's understand the tactics of the enemy. Now, am I saying, I, I, what I'm not saying is that isolation and, and all of that was wrong. I'm not even commenting on that. I am just saying it was something the enemy used to isolate people, okay? That's, that's my point, okay? The spirit of the Antichrist will be enticing and the temptation and the voice and the verbiage of what's said will be enticing. That's, that's the point, right? That's the point. Here's something for us to be aware of, is that the enemy will never try to entice you and tempt you with something that's enticing to somebody else. He will come after what entices you. So we need to be very aware of that. Oh, wow, you were drawn away by that? Like, that, that's the thing? Well, maybe it's not for you, but it's something else. So we have to be aware of this. We have to be aware of this. Uh, with this spirit of the Antichrist, the things about the Antichrist is that it will taste sweet, but it will end in death. Yeah. I was thinking about, a, we're doing this, this devotional thing in the morning with our kids, and it's actually going through different elements of, of nature, different plants and different animals, and then brings a, a spiritual application to it, and we do it at breakfast. It's actually really cool. We have, Ellie found all these books from the library, and it's just, it's really, really cool. One of the books talks about plants, and, uh, and how their mechanisms for luring. And I was thinking about a Venus flytrap. A Venus flytrap attracts bugs and insects to it. And um, I got this from an extremely reliable source, Wikipedia, so we know it's true. <laughs> that it says, <laughs> it says that it attracts bugs with, listen, a pleasing fruity scent. The enemy will try to entice God's people with a pleasing scent. Things that seem pleasing. Ooh, that looks good. Actually, I actually don't see anything wrong with that. Is it grounded in the word? Uh, hadn't thought about that. Probably a good thing to think about. Right? So be aware of this. Okay, number four. What we need to do is we need to actively pursue so that we don't get passively deceived. This is what remaining is. Remaining is not saying, I'm just not doing anything, God. I'm just here. I'm just not doing anything. No, we need to actively pursue Christ because passivity will deceive us to go away from him. So let's actively pursue Christ. Let's be those people that have a heart that says, responds the way David said, I've heard you say, come. And my heart responds, I'm coming. I'm coming. I'm not gonna stay away. I'm not gonna shy back. I'm not gonna go off of an opinion of culture or some little snippet that I attach my life with. No, I'm coming back to you, God. And I'm coming back to your word. And I'm coming back to a belief in the fact that you are good, you are God. And by the way, you are true in everything you say. We need to have this life. So Hebrews 3 says this, watch out brothers and sisters 
so that there won't be any evil, any, any of you, an evil, unbelieving heart that turns you away from the living God, but encourage each other daily while it's still called today so that none of you is hardened by sin's deceptions. So the very next verse, I'm gonna just read this because this is where it gets really sobering for us as believers. When I was reading through 1 John this week, it was like a gut punch when I read this verse, okay? And I've read this verse a bunch. I've never read it in this way before. I think it was the Holy Spirit. Because 1 John 2, the very next verse that talks about watch out for the Antichrist, all this kind of stuff, it goes to verse 19 and it says this. This is the sobering part. Look at this. They went out from us. So whoa, 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 whoa. You're saying that the Antichrist, the deception, the, the, the deceiver, the enticing thing went out from the believers? But they did not belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. However, they went out so that it might be clear that none of them belongs to us. So what this tells me is that the people that the enemy has deceived and pulled away from the body of Christ that now he is using to pull other people away from the body of Christ once were part of the body of Christ. Everyone starts looking around. Is it you? Is it you? Is it you? No. It's not what I'm saying. <laughs> Are you the Antichrist? I mean, it's going to be an interesting post-service conversation. Hey, so. No, that's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying. But this is the important thing here. Is to understand that the people that John is talking about had knowledge of Christ, but turned away from the living God because their faith wasn't activated. This is really important. Hebrews 4 says this, for we also have received the good news just as they did. He's talking about these people that have been drawn away. But the message they heard did not benefit them. Why? Since they were not united with those who heard it in faith. People that are drawn away are drawn away because there was a knowledge and an understanding, but there wasn't a faith attached to that. And this is the next point for you, is that there has to be a combination of what we've heard and what we believe. Okay? So what does it mean to remain? What does it mean for us to abide? It's to not only have head knowledge about what the word of God says about how we should live and how we should act and how we should remain close to God. It's not just that, but it's the belief of our heart has to be activated with that knowledge. Because I'm just telling you, this, just, this is really real. It is possible to have God speak, but not have those words do anything because they're not combined with faith that leads to action. You can hear all the things. I can read this book cover to cover, but if my faith isn't activated to actually say, no, but I actually believe everything this book says in its entirety. Not just, well, there's a couple verses I agree with, but the rest of it, I'm on the fence. No, in order for us to remain in Christ is for us to say, I not only say that this is my truth, 
but I believe every word that's in it. This is the difference. The spirit of Antichrist draws away because what does, what, this is what the word tells us, that knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. You know someone else who had a lot of knowledge and was in the very presence of God? He actually was called one of the worship leaders. It was Lucifer. Had a lot of knowledge, a lot of firsthand knowledge. But what happened? It puffed him up to where he thought, I want to be like God. And it pulled him away to where he was cast out because it led him astray. So for us, we need to say, okay, God help us to activate those two things together. So keys to remaining. I'm going to skip down and we're going to end. Keys to remaining. The first one is this, is to anchor our souls in the hope of salvation. Hebrews 6 talks about this, to anchor your soul in the hope of salvation. What does an anchor do? When you are tossed to and fro by anything that culture brings, when you are tossed to and fro by the wind and by the currents and all of that, an anchor keeps you steady. But an anchor only works if you throw it in the water. So for us, we need to anchor our soul in salvation. That our salvation is complete in Christ. The second thing, is we need to be familiar with the shepherd's voice. We need to be really familiar with his voice. John 10 says this, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. That's a pretty cool promise. So what's the whole point of remaining? (laughs) We have an invitation to abide, to remain, to find our strength in, to do everything out of a place of remaining in Christ. But it comes with a challenge to actively pursue him so that we don't get drawn away. And we do that by applying what we know to what we believe. My prayer for you and myself. I pray this all the time. God, help me to not only just know what you've said, but to actually believe what you've said and to have faith that because you said it, it will come true. You know, people, people talk all, all the time about, you know, hey, what, what's God's plan for the Jewish people? Why, why is this such a big deal? I'll tell you why it's a big deal. Because the promises, you better believe that the promises that God made to the Jewish people that he is going to fulfill gives us hope that he's going to fulfill the promises he's made to us too. They give us this whole thing. God fulfilled his promises to Israel and to the Jews. And we could look at that and say, okay, because he did that, he'll do that for me too. But I have to believe that this is real and this is true. As we end today, All of the remaining starts with a step towards in relationship. John 10 says that my sheep hear my voice. And maybe you're in this place today or you're watching online and you would say that there's been something stirring in your heart. There's been a voice. There's been something that's been been drawing you, been nagging at you. I'm here to say and to offer, maybe it's the voice of the shepherd that's drawing you close to himself. 
If you've been far from God and you've been doing it all on your own and, and trying to just power through and make it all happen, God has something totally different for you. He's provided salvation. He provides strength. Everything we talk about today. And he wants to give it freely. But it takes us making a choice to respond to when we are called. If you're here in this place and you want to make that step, that decision to begin this relationship with Christ, to know what it means to be in him and be empowered by him and to have your sins completely forgiven and to take up that yoke, that, that thing that helps you to live life and you're not carrying it all by yourself trying to figure it out. I want to give you the opportunity to do that today. So if you're here and you'd like to do this, I'm gonna lead us in a prayer. All of us are gonna pray this together. But if you're at this place and saying, I don't have a relationship with Christ, I'm carrying all my own weight and I really, really, really want him to take it away and to give me his yoke. Pray this with faith today. Come on, let's all bow our heads and let's, let's pray this together. Dear Jesus, I thank you for the salvation of the cross. I thank you for the gift of eternal life. And I thank you for the promise of taking my burdens, taking my shame, taking all of it, and in exchange, getting your power and your life and your freedom and your joy. Today I receive your gift and I declare that you are the Lord of my life. You call the shots. I'm following you and I'm living for you, amen. If you prayed that prayer today, you made a decision to enter into a family, but also begin a relationship with someone who loves you more than you have any idea about. But you get to go on a journey now of understanding what that is. Come on, can we do this? Can we put our hands together for those that maybe prayed that prayer together in the room or online today for the first time?